morning, High Point family. Uh, my name is Mark Rayburn. This is my son, Colton Rayburn. We have the distinct honor and privilege to be able to share with you a little bit this morning about what God has laid upon our hearts. And it's not just for you fathers, it's also for, I think, anybody It's applicable. And so thank you for taking the time out of your day to come spend it here. And, and uh, as we share God's truth, not Mark and Colton's truth, as we share God's truth with you here this, uh, this morning, I trust that it will be beneficial all the way around. That video montage, I tried to get Jamie to do one where, you know, where the dad kicks the ball in the kid's face or falls out of the fishing boat or something like that. But he went sort of the spiritual way of going. So I guess it's probably more applicable to us today. But uh, I'm going to pray. Lord, I pray you'd bless us with your presence here this morning, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen our hearts and our minds from your word Lord Jesus, may we listen intently upon what you would have for us here this day. Take Cole and I out of the equation, Lord, and just uh, I just pray for each and every person, whether they're listening online or here in person, Lord God, that you would make an impact in our lives this day. And we pray this in your name, amen. You know, we're each leaving a legacy that, uh, that someday we're going to leave behind, right? And archaeologists often say, man is best described by what he leaves behind. In June of last year, archaeologists were doing a dig and they found a discovery of a full pig skeleton that was in, it appears to be a Judean home that was close to the Acropolis that was once the Jewish temple. And you say, why are you sharing that with me? And I'm saying, Israel, pork, who would have thunk it, right? But it's true because the archaeologists, they found it, right? And, and it's the same with our generation. What do you think uh, the archaeologists would find after what we've left behind? And I'm pretty proof positive that it's going to describe us by the amount of disposable products that we have thrown into our landfills. Every time I drive over Graham Hill and I look at Mount Murray and uh, Mount LeMay down there on the, on the creek, I tend to think, man, that, that's going to be our legacy one of these days, right? Do we ever really consider, think about it in a serious way, of what we really leave behind? What is a legacy? A legacy is an inheritance or a quality of someone who has died, the memories and contributions of that person that they have created in their lifetime. A wealthy man in a small town passed away, and someone asked his attorney, hey, how much money did he leave? And his attorney said, well, all of it. He didn't take any of it with him, right? And we often speak of someone's legacy just after they've passed away. And in Hebrews chapter 4, it describes the man this way. He being dead, yet he speaks. How we are living, people will talk about us after we're dead and gone, and we will be identified by our lives. And we all receive and, and leave legacies. And it might be skin color, eye color, height, many other physical characteristics. Colton and Maria just had a son. Uh, my grandson, Cash, for uh, about four weeks ago. And uh, when all the, the parents were able to go into the room, everyone, was, all the gr- women were saying, oh, it looks like Maria's dad, or it looks like uh, Colton. Or, and I'm just looking at it thinking, dad, that's just a baby. I can't, see, I can't see anything in that, right? We speak of our individual DNA that we receive from our parents and that we pass on to our children. And a legacy can be either negative, but it can also be positive. And one example is provided by the history of two families in colonial America. 
bear with me here as we... Max Juke. He was a crude backswoodsman known for his hard living, weak moral characteristics. His legacy was marked by a lot of children, some of them illegal, most to be ridiculed. It numbered 709 descendants. Of those were 280 homeless, 140 criminals, 60 thieves, 6 murderers, 128 prostitutes, and of those descendants, 300 of them died what you would consider early in life. Now, on the other side, you have Jonathan Edwards, who was a famous preacher. He left behind 1,394 family members, including 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 100 college professors, 62 physicians, and 60 authors. Well, if you compare those two, then you have to say our history and our genealogy matter, right? Our lives are shaped by the legacy of others. And if you read through the Old Testament, if you start at the beginning of the Old Testament and you get to 1 Chronicles and you get reading a list of names, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, it's just chapters and chapters of who begat who and who begat this and who begat who, right? And you say, what is that all about? Well, it's the most extensive collection of genealogical tables in the Old Testament. And it serves to show the ancestry of the tribes of Israel to focus on the importance of the Davidic line from which comes who? Our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Why we're here this morning, right? And throughout all of the Old Testament, men are described as son of, if you look through all of the Old Testament and even the New Testament, men are described by, as being the son of somebody or by their hometown, right? You think of Isaac, son of Abraham, right? David, son of Jesse. Solomon, son of David. And then it goes into First and Second Kings, and as they describe the newly appointed kings, it tells them the, that they are the sons of, and it also gives the legacy of, what they're following, of who they're following after. It'll say either this, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father, or he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father. It seems as though the fathers had a lot of influence on their children just like we do today. And this morning, Colton and I want to speak about what it means to build a legacy and what it means to leave a legacy. So there's an example of legacy in the history books in the Bible, but uh, here's about someone right in front of you, Mark Rayburn. Uh, my dad has such a strong legacy that I cannot go anywhere uh, in this state, it seems, with the name Rayburn on my back without someone coming up and asking, oh, do you know Mark Rayburn or if I'm related to him? Now that's a legacy for you. Um, when I got married, um, I attended High Point when I was uh, from third grade to high school. When I got married, me and my wife uh, left, and uh, mostly because I felt High Point viewed me as Mark Rayburn's son because I had grown up here and known so many people and I wanted, uh, which in turn made me want some autonomy, um, because what man wants to be referred to as someone's son in people's eyes? Um, after moving around churches, me and my wife realized that we would be best served coming back to High Point to grow our family and to uh, build our legacy through here. So, I'm beginning to understand what the word of what the word legacy means. And this morning, I want to speak to all young dads or young husbands on what it means to build a legacy. 
I don't know why I did that. Now, to build a legacy, we need three things. First, we need God's word. It's our foundation. It's our blueprint. Secondly, we need wisdom and understanding. That's the walls. And lastly, we need windows of reflection. So first is God's word is our foundation. I come from a construction background, and if you've been about, wow, if you've been around building a home, then you know that the first thing you do besides dig the hole is put foundations in. The Bible is our foundation. God has gifted us the perfect design, how we are to build our home and legacy. Now I'm going to be honest up here and admit this is where I struggle the most. I struggle daily to get into God's word because I constantly find myself putting time and energy elsewhere than rather where it should be in the Bible. So if you struggle with this as well, just know you're not alone. So if a contractor does not study the blueprints, the home will be very shoddily built. So just like in my trade, when I need to study the blueprints, more so in my life, I need to spend time in God's word, whether that be five minutes or 15 so let's turn to Joshua 24, verse 15. We're to look up at the screen. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river, gods of, gods of the Egyptians, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua stated this amongst a land and time of polytheism, which means there wasn't one God. There was, mul there was multiple gods. Just like there is today. We are surrounded by gods, whether that be our career, consumerism, where it's all about getting what you want and screwing the little guy, or about image of how the world sees us and how we think we should look. We need to put a stake in the ground in our families as early as we can. This decision to surrender your marriage, your family, and their well-being is a huge step to take. We can't build a strong family slash home by accident, but only through clear intention. We need to know God's blueprint and study his plan if we are going to build our home according to his design. So the Bible are the blueprints me and my wife are choosing to follow. Secondly, to build, to build a legacy, it is crucial to have walls of wisdom and understanding. How we treat our spouse and children matters greatly to him. What goes in the four walls of your house is a true test to the validity of your faith. Make your home the safest place for your family it could ever be. Create a dwelling where rare and treasure memories flourish. So let's turn to Proverbs 24.3 or look up at the screen. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. What I love about this verse is there are three parts to it. The first being wisdom, which comes from God. And his, his design for the family is that he makes it clear. The marriage comes first. You and your wife are a team. You guys aren't competitors. You're not competing for who can build the house the best, but rather complementing each other on the best way to build the house together. One of the greatest gifts we can give our children is loving our spouse. The first 18 years of their lives when they are in your home is the best premarital counseling that your children could have. One of the greatest gifts we can give our children is loving our spouse, which is why God emphasizes it, because it translates directly 
to stability and security in the observing children. The second part is understanding, which comes from a commitment of time to get to know each and every one in your home. It is important to understand each individual child and your spouse to create those everlasting bonds with them. We should be working together to gain understanding. For example, my wife, Maria, who's a rock star, by the way, um, my house would have caught on fire for sure if she wasn't there to run it. Um, now, me and her, we've only been married for three years, and we have two kiddos, but uh, we've learned a lot about each other in these first three years. A big one is how we argue. Now, uh, some might know this and some may not, but in most relationships, there would be a woodpecker and a turtle when it comes to arguing. A woodpecker is somebody who wants to hammer through the problem right then and there, right in the argument, so that you can get over it and then move on. Whereas the turtle retreats back into their shell and needs some time to think about their thoughts and reconvene. And reconvene. If anybody can guess, I'm the woodpecker and my wife is the turtle. Neither of them is the right way or the wrong way. We're all just built differently. We have different ways of arguing, but we need to work together and respect each other's way or else that problem just festers. Each of us has different life experiences that we bring into our marriages. We should not hide them or force them onto one another, but rather work together to find the way of life for both of you in your home. The last part of the verse is talking about knowledge and how through knowledge treasure is found and made. Knowledge of what though? Knowledge of each person in your home. Well, how do we gain that knowledge? We gain it from being together as a family. For example, my mom has these little dinner questions in a box that if you've ever been over to the Rayburn household, she breaks them out for dinner. I hated these in high school. I dreaded them. But looking back, I see the purpose that they serve. They created a space at dinner for each one of us children to talk and share what interests we had and how we thought through things, which in turn taught my dad and my mom, and even us children, each, like, we each learned something about the other person from, from those talks. I even bought a pack for me and my wife once we were married, and I encourage you to do so as well. We cannot gain knowledge if dad is stuck at work and the kids are stuck in their rooms, isolated from one another, just on their phones or watching TV. That isn't treasure being found or made. We must ask ourselves, what is most important to us as parents? Is it your name, as in fame or pride? Is it your job, slash your career? Or is it something that holds no weight eternally? It is important, as parents, we understand how heavy the weight our children and family hold eternally. We cannot put them to the side for selfish ambitions. We have to take time to surround our spouse and children with wisdom and understanding of God and of them. The treasures that will be found when applying this will last a lifetime and can never be forgotten. Oops. The third way to build a legacy is windows of reflection. In construction, it's the value you put into your home through the extra time and effort you expend building it. We might call this sweat equity. It's even more true to your family. We must live true to what we believe. 
We need to be spending time with our family, affirming their value to us and to God. So please turn to Deuteronomy 6, or look up at the screen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So when it comes to passing on your faith slash legacy, if you want your kids to bleed spiritually, as parents, we have to hemorrhage. We can't have one foot in and one foot out if we want our kids to follow God. We must live out our blueprint at home. So here's an example of modeling what we want our children to become or not. Just the other night, I had some friends over for a fire. Uh, I was sitting by the fire with one of my close friends, and I was having a cigar. His son, who's about three and a half, came out and sat next to us. And we were talking and laughing and having a good time. So my close friend called me the next day. And uh, he was laughing because his son was eating a french fry and said, Daddy, look at me. Now he's got this french fry like a cigar in his mouth and he's puffing on it. Saying to his dad, look, I'm just like Uncle Colton. Now me and my close friend laughed at it, but it got me thinking, is that what I want my kids to see me as? Or is that what I want my friend's kids to see me as? I'm not shaming anyone or guilt tripping. All I'm saying is our kids and even our friend's kids are watching us. They imitate our every move. We need to be modeling what our blueprint is. Building a legacy is not something that we can take lightly. God has given us a blueprint for how to build a home slash legacy that will be the strongest inheritance we could ever leave our children. It is crucial that we surround our families with wisdom and understanding to model to our children our faith. So, those are my thoughts on how to build a legacy. So Mark, or my father, will bring you how to leave a legacy. First time we get to speak together, we work together all the time, but we don't talk to each other when we're on the job sites, right? So the only time we have conversations is things like this. But I'm reading a book right now by Bob Buford, and it's called uh, Halftime. And it was, he wrote it uh, to Christian businessmen um, throughout the different stages of their life, and it's, the title is Moving from Success to Significance. And I've realized here, I've had a business now for, been fortunate to have a business now for 33 years. And uh, God's been very, very good to us. And I'm, but hear me say this, it's not enough. Being successful is not enough. I've reached this age of my life to where there needs to be something more than success. There has to be some kind of significance for me getting up and doing what I do or passing on to the next generation coming up. And uh, what good are great stats in the first half, right, if you come up short at the end of the game? And I've played a lot of basketball. In my earlier years, I played high school ball. I played college ball. I played a little bit overseas. And the game is won or lost in the second half, not the first half. It's possible to make some mistakes in the first half, right, because you have a chance to recover, and you can probably come back to that. But it's harder. If you make those mistakes in the second half, it's a lot harder to do. Well, I've realized at my age now that I'm at my halftime. And I don't want to just let it burn out. I want life to be at its most rewarding at this stage. My kids are all grown up. They're starting families of their own now. 
And as, as I have had more time to, to reflect and to ponder and to look back at the last 30 some years of my life, I keep coming up with one thing that I have a difficulty with and that is I struggle with regrets. These those things that wake you up in the middle of the night and you can't seem to get out of your mind. And Satan is an, he's, he's in, has an incredible grip on our shame and, and on our guilt, right? And he wants us to live in the shadows of that regret and he won't let it get out of our minds. It's a, it's a tough emotion to live down. It haunts us in ways that it saps our strength and, and our inspiration and it keeps us from going on farther where we want to go. So one of the first things that I have needed to do in halftime is to make peace with my first half issues. I've made a lot of mistakes as a husband and father over the last 36 years. I've apologized to Christy and my kids more times than I can count or even wanted to. I remember Christy telling me here not too long ago, she goes, you treat me like a trophy. She goes, you, you won me, you put me up on a shelf, you don't pursue me anymore. I'm like, ooh, that's, that's a tough one. Hunter, I remember when he ran away as a teen and he was headed down the driveway in his bare feet. And I was following right behind him with a pair of shoes telling him, you can't go very far unless you have shoes, right? Taylor, my daughter, from the age of two to the age of 29, all I have to do is raise my voice and her demeanor just wilts, right? Colton, learning to navigate as a dad's son, as a boss employee on the job site has not been some of my finest hours, I have to admit. But I'm sure, like me, you can come up with a long list of regrets and apologies. And the purpose of halftime is to take stock, is to listen, to learn and to deal with our first half issues. And the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 139, if you can bring that up, the cry of the psalmist resonates within the hearts of all of us who grow weary in the first half. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. For me, in the transition into the afternoon of my life is a time of, of of reordering my time and what is my treasure. It's for reconfiguring my values and my vision of what life really could be going forward. And it's more than just a, a reality check, right? It's a fresh look into the holiest chamber of my own heart and affording me an opportunity to respond to my soul's deepest longings. What do I really want going forward? And you know what I've discovered so far? I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community. And what do I mean by community? I mean high point community. I mean my work community. Anything outside those doors where I have an interpersonal relationship is community. Family, neighbors, community is important. And as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for this community whatever I can. My dad had a great halftime. Uh, when I was 17, my dad had a massive heart attack. We were cutting hay and, uh, in the hay fields, and uh, he slumped over the tractor. I actually had to pull him off the tractor and put him in the truck and haul him to Good Sam. And uh, the scariest, one of the scariest moments of my life. But God used that time to show my dad that that was his halftime. Because after that, my dad was so gentle, was such a prayer warrior, loved by all our neighbors, 
we fished so much together and hunted so much together. And in those times before, we would just hunt and fish together. But now we had deep, long talks about just life, just life in general, and what it means to be a, a man, a godly man. My dad's been gone for 23 years now. And I haven't forget what he has impressed on my heart and on my life, but most of it was in the second half. And I wish I could hear my dad say one more time, I'm proud of you. My dad's, uh, my dad's legacy, one of his legacies that he came to all my high school basketball games and some of my college games, and every time I'd score a basket, he'd ring a cowbell. Even to the point where my teammates were like, hey, your dad's here. I mean, they knew. They knew that what was going on, right? So I, I continued that legacy on with my kids as they played ball, basketball, and every time they'd score, I'd ring a cowbell till it got to the point where the referees would come up in the stand and stop the game and say, you, either get out or put it away. So there's a, my kids love me for those, those times and opportunities. But I've tried to tell my kids, like my dad told me a lot, how proud I am of them. It doesn't seem to be a specific age, but it's just, it just does something to a children's psyche when you tell them that you're proud of them. Just as I am proud to be son of Bob, I hope my kids are proud to be son of Mark or daughter of Mark. One of my jobs, or part of one of my jobs, is I work for a company called Wilbert Automated Vault, and uh, they install crematorium niche walls at all the different cemeteries all over the state. And they hire us to go in and pour the foundations and uh, courtyards for those niche walls. So I've had lots of time to walk around cemeteries and various parts of it into the old parts of the cemetery and the new parts. And I realized that as you look down, there's a beginning date and there's an ending date and there's a short dash in between. And I think, how do you sum up a person's existence in that little short dash between those dates, Right? And you get to be my age, you go to more funerals than you do weddings. It's unfortunate, right? And we've done a lot of them here in the last couple of years. And as we sit there in the memorial service and people do these slideshows and stuff, and we've known people, how do you sum up a person's life in 60 to 90 minutes? How do you do that? But then I also think on that, on that headstone, on that tombstone in the cemeteries where we work, we walk around below that dates and the dash, they usually put something that sums up that person's life. It's called an epitaph. And I look at that, and I've, I've seen some, and I thought, really? That's what you put on there? My dad sums his up, his up perfectly in just two words, with Jesus. His whole life pointed to that point. Everything about him. Maybe, maybe we should just, I should just stop preaching now. Maybe a good exercise for us would be just to sit here and say, I'm going to write my epitaph right now of what my life matters, what it means at this point. What would it say about us? Well, just like Colton talked about building a legacy, I believe leaving a lasting legacy requires reaching out to change your world in two significant ways. And the first one is the integrity of your walk. Philippians 4.9 and this is Paul saying, whatever you have learned, received, heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. <laughs> Apostle Paul can say that. That's tough for old uh, Apostle Mark to say anything like that, because my, uh, you know, my resume is not as impressive 
as Paul. So there's a lot of times I'm like, yeah, don't emulate me there on that one. Don't, don't learn what I, anything from that. The bottom line is the reality of Jesus Christ in your life should be attractive to others. And I can talk until I'm blue in the face, right? But the proof is in living it. It's in doing it. And I want a relationship. We all want a relationship with Jesus that is set apart from the rest of this world, right? The more our world crumbles around us, and trust me, it's crumbling. The more I realize how important truth and integrity really mean. Do I cherish my Savior, Jesus Christ? Do I cherish my wife, Christy, and model that to my children? Do I model that to my extended family? Do I model it to you? What about the people outside those doors? Do I model it to them? There are many paths we can choose in this life, but only one, if you really want your life to stand for something. Because we can't be people in here, inside these doors one way, and outside those doors another way. If somebody in the construction world walked through those doors and saw me speaking up here and said, whoa, would have never figured that one. That's not good. That's not integrity. Right? I am the same out there. We should all be the same out there as we are in here. Not too long ago, a few years ago, one of our concrete truck drivers, his name was Mike, we were sitting on a job waiting for the next truck to roll into line. And we got to talk, started asking him, hey, Mike, you go to church anywhere? Background? What's up? No, no, none of that stuff. And I said, oh, yeah. So I, I go to High Point Church, and I lead a small group Bible study on Tuesday nights. And that's what he said to me. He goes, wow, I would have never guessed that. <laughs> I wanted to choke him, right? <laughs> Let me show you what the Bible means, right? <laughs> but it made me realize, okay, integrity, I've got a little ways to go. And in Titus 2, 7 through 10, it talks about, this is describing the duties of a minister, but if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this, you are singled out in this as well, right? And uh, Titus 2, 7, and everything set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity. Servants, show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way you will make the teaching about God attractive. What do others think of you when it comes to Jesus? What do they think about Jesus when it comes to you and me? Is Jesus attractive because of Mark? Is Jesus attractive because of us sitting here today? Integrity is important in legacy. The second way to leave a lasting legacy is the intentionality of your witness. Philemon 4.7 says, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have much joy and comfort in your love because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Paul is saying, I'm proud of you. I am so proud of you. Your talk is exactly your walk. And you are encouraging those around you. You're encouraging those that you're ministering to because they can see your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm proud of you. Our most important legacy is not a legacy of dollars and investments. Nor is it even just a legacy of offspring of the biological variety. But it is a legacy of transformed lives. An eternal legacy of people 
who will live eternally in heaven because of our efforts. I don't know how many people will be in heaven uh, because of my mom, but I'm sure that they probably pulled in some extra bleachers to seat them all. My mom was an incredible witness, no matter what she was doing. And, uh, you know, Pastor Kevin has shared with us that when he goes out in public, he talks about, tell me your story when you meet somebody. Because everybody likes to talk about themselves, right? So if you get someone to tell them their story, then you can turn around and tell them your story about what Jesus Christ means in your life. Because what we do shouldn't take front and center of who we are. Who we are is children of the king. And ever since, I've tried to do the same thing. But I think when I think about Paul talking to Philemon, telling him how proud he is of him, I just have to say here, first and foremost, I am so proud of our High Point family. For those of you who are watching, those of you who are sitting here today, because you have made a distinct desire to show up here today. And that tells me that you have a hunger. Either you're searching for something that this world does not offer, or you are here to worship and to praise a God that you have found is the answer, is the truth that gives your life meaning. I go to work so I can provide for my family, so I can have a house to live in, so I can drive a car, so I can go on vacations. But our directors and Pastor Kevin here at this church, the reason they do this job is because they're concerned about your spiritual history. They're concerned about your eternal life, not just your physical life. And whether it's worship and whether it's our kids, you guys, every, every Sunday morning I, I look out here and I watch these just, just a herd of kids going through there that you guys are bringing. And I'm thinking, how incredible is that for our next generation? And that's because of your intentionality that I have to say, well done. How proud I am of you as a family because it's so important for your spiritual history. One of the things that our family also does is we celebrate spiritual birthdays. Uh, just like you have a physical birthday, uh, my wife decided we're going to start celebrating spiritual birthdays because that's more important than just our physical birthdays. So, you know, we do a cake. If, if the kid's been good, it's angel food. If the kid's been bad, it's devil's food cake, right? So if you got served devil's food cake, you know, you better buck up, right? You're not cutting it. But spiritual birthdays, we celebrate those, we give gifts, we make a big deal out of spiritual markers in our children's lives. So as they get older, they look back at that and realize, I know when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I had the honor of baptizing my three kids in our pond in the backyard, and a lot of you have been baptized in that pond in the backyard. And some of you might get baptized this coming Saturday at the fishing derby, and might just, on accident, might happen, right? But uh, <laughs> we, make, we make it a big deal about all those spiritual things that happen along in our kids' lives. Because as they look back at that, as they get older, when the doubts creep in and when Satan says, oh, I want to make you to focus on regrets, I want you to focus on this, that they can look them back and say, no, I know that I'm a child of the king. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the leaders at High Point, the, the directors at High Point from Pastor Kevin's message, I know that I responded to Jesus Christ and I belong to him. That's why that matters. God has given us his greatest legacy in Jesus Christ. And it's a legacy that we leave with our children. It's a legacy we leave with our friends. It's a legacy we leave with our world. It's ours to share. Maybe today you're here just starting to build your legacy. 
Maybe today's your halftime, like me. Time to ponder, reflect, think about, all right, what's coming next? Maybe it's time to change the game plan in order to be successful, in order to be significant. I played overseas in uh, Zimbabwe, Africa for a time. And uh, when I was in a training camp with all the other teammates down in San Jose, California, our coach was from University of Kentucky. His name is B.B. Kendrick. He told us this is the way we're going to play over there, guys, because he goes, they're going to be more athletic than us. And uh, so I've devised a plan. We're going to stick with this plan, and it's the way we're going to play. We all bought into the plan. We get over there. The first team we played against had three seven-footers on their team. And as soon as they got the ball down low in the key, we couldn't stop them. We just couldn't stop them. They were just too big, too powerful. So halftime, coach called us in and goes, all right, boys, we're going to change our strategy. Trust me. He goes, they, they're incredibly athletic, but they don't have many skills. So second half, full court press, that ball does not come across half court. We won by 30 because we trusted the coach. We trusted his plan. What I'm saying by that little illustration is don't be afraid to change your life strategy. But it has to be focused on your coach. Our coach is Jesus Christ. And from First Chronicles all throughout all of Scripture, his genealogy matters. Why? Because he's the son of God. He's the son of God. Trust the coach in his plan but it's up to us to implement it intentionally. So where are we this morning? Where are you this morning? Are you building? Are you at a halftime? Or maybe it's, you're leaving a legacy. Well, Colton, I have some action points to encourage you in in, this, in these areas this week. Colton? All right. This week's action says for building a legacy is to choose a psalm from the book of Psalms, of course, and pray it as a family. So, uh, when I was in college, I was going through a tough time of uh, how to identify myself outside of basketball. Um, and I had a professor and a close friend tell me to, instead of reading Psalms as a book, instead read it as prayers, um, because they actually are prayers from David to God. Um, and the second is reflect on being a model of your faith to those around you. You're up, old man. And my action points for leaving a legacy is remember their regrets I mentioned earlier. Number one, make peace with your regrets and move forward. And what I had to do is one night I woke up in the middle of the night as my mind was going and I started to make a list. I went down to my office and I made a list. And I put Satan at the bottom of that list. And then I went into our living room and I opened our wood stove and I burned it. I said, no more. No more will I live in that past of Satan trying to keep me shackled from moving forward as God wants me to. So if you need to do that, burn a list and trust God for his plan moving forward. And the second one is celebrate spiritual birthdays. Your spiritual history matters so much more than your physical history because you're leaving a legacy of that to your children, to your children's children, and the generations to come. Make it important the spiritual things in your life. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, I thank you so much for this time together. Celebrate Father's Day. God, you're the ultimate father. And we want to thank you and praise you that we get to be called children of the king. So, Father, uh, thank you for meeting us here this day. We're eternally grateful and eternally blessed to have a savior. 
Let me praise you in your name. Amen.